Greetings and welcome to Cougar Talk. My name's Ethan and I'm your host. Today we're going to be talking to Terry Sine, Director of Financial Aid and Scholarships here at Clackamas Community College. Terry, thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about what it is you do as the Director of Financial Aid and Scholarships. Okay, so basically the Director of Financial Aid and Scholarships is tasked with keeping on top of compliance, which is all the rules and regulations surrounding federal financial aid, as well as some state aid programs. So my job is basically to lead the team and make sure that everyone's trained, everyone is fully aware of what the policies are, procedures are, uh, to make sure that students are awarded everything that they're entitled to in a timely manner, and then oversee some of the other regulations that require us to uh, take other actions on financial aid. Okay. So you said uh, making sure that students get everything that they're entitled to. How do they know what they're entitled to? Okay. So the process for financial aid is the students fill out the free application for federal student aid, which we lovingly call the FAFSA. Everybody says FAFSA, FAFSA, you know, <laughs> right. the FAFSA. Uh, that information is sent to us by the, the federal government, by the Department of Education, and then on that, there's a uh, index that they call the e, uh, EFC, Estimated Financial Contribution. That usually makes people think that that's what they're expected to pay toward their education. But actually what that is, that's just an index that tells us the lower the EFC, the more need they have. So the, the number everyone's always looking for is a zero EFC, that they, there's no estimated financial contribution that you need to make. And that in turn qualifies you for Pell Grants, Supplemental Educational Opportunity Grants. It also helps with other need-based aid, especially on the state and the scholarship side. And then it also allows you to borrow student loans in order to fund your education. So, you know, we always want the zero EFCs. That means, well, we don't want you to be a zero EFC because that means you have a lot of need. But that also gives us the biggest opportunity to give you the most in funding that you can have. So the higher your estimated financial contribution, the less money you qualify for. The less in grant aid you qualify for. Every student will always qualify to borrow student loans. Mm -hmm. So everyone has a set limit, an annual limit, whether they're a dependent student or an independent student, based on their age and or their marital status. There's, there's several things that change uh, that affect that. But everyone will always be offered loans, uh, but uh, the EFC is what controls how much you get in free money, the grant money. And that's free money. You don't have to pay it back so long as you stay in school, complete your classes, and meet some of the requirements. Okay. Now, you said independent and dependent students. What's the difference in those two categories? Okay. Um, for the federal government purposes, they say any student that's under 24 years of age is considered a dependent student. They're saying you live with your parents, your parents provide some of your support. Uh, as we know, that's not true in a lot of our students' cases. So there is a way you can do a dependency override if you've moved out. But for the most part, the 24-year age is kind of a, a hard, fast rule with the federal government. Okay. If you're under 24 and you're married or you have a child, you're basically deemed independent. If you were ever in foster care, you're deemed as independent. Mm -hmm. If uh, if you were in foster care after age 13. And our specialists know all those rules, and they know where the line is. Uh, the federal government also has questions on the FAFSA that ask that get you to that point. If you're a veteran, you're independent. Mm -hmm. Even if you're 19 years old, you're independent. So the dependency makes a big difference on what your award package is because a dependent student whose parents have income, obviously their income's gonna affect the student, but if you're 
an independent student, they're only looking at your income okay. when they start making the determinations of what you're eligible for. So it's actually advantageous to be an independent student. Most of the time, of course, yeah. You know, for a lot of our students that are dependents coming right out of high school, they qualify for the Oregon Promise Grant. Mm -hmm. So their parents' income doesn't affect them on the state side, but it does affect them on the federal side. So if you if your parents have a large income and you have a large EFC, you're going to get the maximum Oregon Promise Grant because you're not going to get the federal Pell Grant. So it's kind of a, a flip-flop situation with the Oregon Promise Grant. But also, if you are receiving Pell, you will still probably receive an Oregon Promise Grant. It'll just be a smaller amount because you have that full Pell Grant coming from the federal government. It's kind of a weighted thing based on your estimated family contribution, your EFC, mm-hmm. and then what program you're in. The lower the EFC, the higher the federal aid, the higher the EFC, the more likely you'll get some uh, state aid like the Oregon Promise. The Oregon Opportunity Grant is a need-based aid program just like federal Pell Grants. So those kind of go hand in hand. I was over in the Les Diocese makerspace a couple weeks back, and they had a monitor up that was flashing different programs and announcements for the college. And I saw something in there about financial aid for immigrants, for immigrant students. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you maybe speak a little bit about how that's different than, say, a a citizen filling out the FAFSA? So the state of Oregon has an application that is basically a parallel to the federal FAFSA. It's called the ORSA. Mm -hmm. It's the Oregon Student Aid Application. It asks basically most of the same questions, but you do not have to have an immigration status that is required for the FAFSA. So any student who has a DACA status or anything like that, they can complete the ORSA. That information is kept by the state of Oregon, and then we get that information from them, and we award accordingly. Those students can get the Oregon Promise Grant. They can get the Oregon Opportunity Grant. They just don't qualify for federal aid because federal aid requires that you be a U.S. citizen or a qualified non-resident. So the ORSA is a mechanism for those students to get some aid, as well as most of our scholarships, too. So um, the ORSA is how you get those those state aid funds. And then being state, not federal, they don't care if you have legal immigration status or not. They're not here to report that sort of thing, right? Absolutely not. In fact, there's limited, limited people have access to that information anyway. Um, our office would not disclose anything like that. We, we try to be very, very careful about how traumatizing that can be and assure students that anything that has to do with their status, we get the paperwork, we complete the awards, nobody, there's not lists, there's nothing kept on that. Uh, Every student's individual. Uh, The fact that a student filled out the ORSA versus the FAFSA is nothing that anybody outside of our office needs to know about, nor are they ever told. It's, it's, It's a very, very delicate situation, and I feel for the students. Yeah. So, you know, we, we try and be very cognizant that that is not it's not something that should affect ability to get an education. Right. Right. Or the opportunity to get some funds to help you get that education. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about scholarships and how those differ from financial aid. Okay. So the scholarships is an application process through our foundation. Uh, last year, the foundation paid out over six hundred thousand dollars in scholarships to mm-hmm. students at CCC. It's a huge opportunity for students, especially students that are in any of the career technical programs. They have tons of scholarships that they can't even give away hardly. They've got a lot of that students don't even apply for. Hmm. So the uh, application is open now. It's open until, I believe, April 14th, um, and that is for next year. So that's starting next fall. 
So there's two rounds. They do one this time, this this part of the year during the spring, basically. And then those are for fall awards. And then they'll do another round next December. So anybody who didn't apply in the fall has time to apply in December for winter and spring. But if you apply now, you'll be considered in both the first and the second round. So if you don't get a scholarship the first round, you very well could get a scholarship the second round. Uh, The scholarship amounts differ. Some of them are program specific. There's a lot of scholarships around nursing students. Like I said, the career technical areas, they've got lots of scholarships for career technical areas. And some are just general scholarships. You know, so if you just, and it's an easier application than it used to be. Uh, In the past, a student had to write an essay had to get letters of recommendation. The letters of recommendation have been removed. The GPA uh, requirements on a lot of the scholarships has been reduced, and you no longer have to go to the writing lab and write an essay. There's a few essay questions where you answer things on the scholarship uh, application, and rest assured, grammar and punctuation and things like that are not graded. We just want you to be able to put down what your journey has been and what you want your journey to be. Why are you asking for this scholarship? You know, what brought you to this place and what it, how bright is your future? That's all we want to know. That's all this foundation needs to know. That is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to take down as many barriers as we can for our students. It's our fervent hope in the future, hopefully sooner than later, the scholarship application will be available in Spanish as well because we have a lot of uh, speakers of uh, other languages. I mean, if I wish we had it available in every language that was someone's primary language because it's much easier to speak in your primary, you know, your first learned language. Mm. Um, but we're working on that. The foundation is working on that. And um, I'm working with the director, Deborah Mason, to see if we can make some of those things happen sooner rather than later. And you said that a lot of scholarships aren't being applied for? A lot of scholarships are not being applied for. You know, So I always tell everyone, when in doubt, fill out every application you can get. Fill out the scholarship application. Always, always do the FAFSA. Even if you think you don't qualify, you might be surprised. I've had a lot of students say, well, I'm not going to get any money because I have a job. And I go, no, fill it out. Fill it out. And, and they are pleasantly surprised to find out they do qualify for some grant aid. It may not be a whole grant. You know, It might not be as much as someone else that they've heard talk about their grant, but you might be surprised what you would get. And scholarships, they're they're not need-based. Very few scholarships are need-based. They're merit-based. And it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Hmm. You don't have to come out of high school with a 4.0 to get a scholarship. You can come out of high school with a 2.0 and fill out the scholarship application and say, you know, I've always wanted to be a veterinarian. And the only way I can get to that is to take the biology courses here at CCC. And you'd be surprised. Most students that apply, I think two out of three, if and I'm pretty sure I'm correct on that, two out of three students that apply get a scholarship. You, you've talked uh, a little bit about, you know, students coming out of high school. But I know that the average student here at Clackamas is about 35, and many of them already have some college behind them. Can we maybe talk a little bit about that category and what scholarships and financial aid might be available to older adults and maybe somebody who already has a degree that's coming back for training into a different field? Right. So yes, we have most most of our student body is non-traditional. They're returning after a break. They've gotten their children through college and now they're going to come back and get it. They're retraining for new job skills. The amount of uh, funding that is available to students is available across the board. Your age doesn't have anything to do with it other than the federal government. You have to be 24 to be independent. All the scholarships are open. I do believe we have some scholarships that are geared toward 
people re-entering college after a break or looking to change careers. There's a whole list of scholarships on the scholarship webpage. If you go down, it's, I believe it's the link there to the foundation that says check out the scholarships and all of them are listed there. They say what they're for. There are some scholarships, I believe, for speakers of other languages, ESOL students that can get some scholarships. I know there's a lot of support around the ESOL students, so the ESOL department can point people in that direction. But yes, the majority of our students are over age 30. They have came out of high school, they went to work, or they started some college. Some students do return after they've received a degree previously, and they want to come back and change career paths. For federal financial aid, if you've, once you've received your bachelor's degree, you can't get any more Pell Grant money, but you can still borrow student loans. But you're also not precluded from applying for all of our scholarships. And you can get other supports as well, as far as I know, mm-hmm. you know, from other areas. You will get the state aid, the Oregon Opportunity Grant, or the Oregon Promise, but you can take out student loans and apply for scholarships. And you mentioned ESOL. Mm-hmm. Just for people who might not be familiar with mm-hmm. that, can you tell me what ESOL is? It's English speakers of other languages. Okay. Uh, it used to be called ESL. We have a lot of students, obviously, Spanish is their first language. We have a lot of students at Russian, Ukrainian. I know I'm missing several other areas, but we have a really robust ESOL department that really fights to get things put out in different languages for our students. They help us with translating things Mm -hmm. occasionally. We can't expect them to translate everything for us. I wished I had someone in our department right now. We had someone that was bilingual Spanish. She moved on to another opportunity, so we're trying to get someone else into the department, hopefully in the future, to at least cover that gap, especially for our DACA students and some of the students that just need that little extra help. DACA. I've heard the term before, but I don't know if I know exactly what it stands for. Okay. So DACA is the program that President Obama put in place for a deferred action on childhood arrivals. Mm-hmm. So if a uh, person came across the border with their parents, they had no choice. They had to come with their parents. Uh, the delayed action was that they were not going to be returned back to Mexico or whatever country they came from. For the most part, most of them came over the border from Mexico. So they don't they don't get deported. At this point, to us, they're just students and hopefully aid recipients. I think the biggest thing we want to get out to students is don't assume you're not going to get anything. Number two, any information that we receive through the FAFSA is kept in very high confidentiality. Number three, there are so many of you, we don't know you, you know, we don't know one file from the next. Our process is our process. We just want to give students money and, you know, aid, help you get your books, help you get your housing. You know, in this in this area, housing has gone up significantly in the last few years. And the Department of Education has changed the way we word some things in our budgets, in our cost of attendance, to make it really clear to students what we're, we're putting in there. It's been a traditional thing for years, ever since way before I even started in financial aid. It was called room and board. And the assumption was that every college had dormitories and every college had a meal plan. Well, I'm sorry, we're in a community college. You know, we, we are a commuter campus. We don't have dormitories. And so those numbers were really hard to come by. Now, uh, we've done some analysis. So... When we put out our new cost of attendance for the next year, it's going to be very clear that you can see exactly what it's going to cost you to actually attend classes. When you look at the budget, it's going to say, what is the tuition, the books, and the fees, and the transportation, and personal expenses for a term that actually are direct costs of going to school? And then the indirect costs are things that you would have incurred anyway, but they are indirect to, you still have to have a place to live. You still have to eat. School, So we're hoping that, that that will help students understand what a great value Clackamas is. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, it could be, you know, 
let's say, uh, if a student's taking 15 credits, it's going to be right around $3,800 a term. Mm -hmm. But that's a pretty good bang for your buck because you're investing in yourself. Right. You know, uh, when students borrow student loans, you have to look at it as you're investing in yourself. The borrowing part is there's a stigma against borrowing. And we've tried to discourage students from going into too much debt, especially at the community college level. But then again, the realities are you have to be able to survive. You have to be able to study. And uh, you're investing in yourself. And I think you maybe stumbled upon a slogan for the department. Uh, We just want to give you money. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, we just want to give you everything that you're allowed to have so that you can make that commitment. Um, Nothing is worse. I've seen a lot of students over the years. I've been doing financial aid for quite a while. And I've seen students, and the biggest stressor is not knowing where they are financially, not being able to put their thumb on exactly how much money it costs, how much money they can come up with, whether mom or dad are going to be able to help, grandma and grandpa. Our new budget sheet that we're putting out this next year will have a simple budget calculator on the back where you can sit there and write down how much is it going to cost you for one term. And then take that, a term is basically three months. Take that and divide it by three so you can say, okay, per month it's costing me this much for my tuition, my books, my housing. I think it helps synthesize down to, you know, what do I really need to have and how am I going to get there before you get into panic mode and you're getting bills from the accounts receivable department saying, you need to pay us $1,400 and go, well, how am I going to do that? You can plan ahead and say, oh, I'm going to be able to do that. My financial aid is going to cover it and I'm going to have additional funds for for other things. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think people ought to know about or any parting words of wisdom? Parting words of wisdom. I don't know if I have any wise words. I, I would just say that the parting words are Please don't assume you don't qualify for something. Come ask us. We have frontline staff that will help you through that. The campus has a lot of other resources other than the traditional financial aid that's available to assist students. Uh, The financial aid department pretty much knows where most of those are. We can at least point you in the right direction. Even if we can't help you, we can find you somebody that might be able to help you or other programs that might be able to help you. For students that are on SNAP benefits, they have the STEP program that helps students with things like books, tuition and fees, transportation. They can help you if you're having a hard time paying your rent. They've got different funnels of things that they can take care of that we can't. Other programs on campus can help you with those. All of a sudden, something catastrophic is happening and you need help now. SNAP, because you mentioned it. (laughs) SNAP is uh, used to be called food stamps. Mm -hmm. It's it's, uh, supplemental nutrition uh, program mm-hmm. through the government. So, uh, yeah, if, you, if you're if you low income and you qualify for SNAP benefits, you can also get help through the STEP program. I believe the vocational technical students have a lot of other options as well. Awesome. Terry, thank you so much for joining us. Okay. That okay. is it for this week on Cougar Talk. Next week is finals. And the week after that is spring break, so we will be taking a two-week hiatus, returning on Wednesday, April 5th at our normal 2.30 in the afternoon time slot. Until then, thanks for joining us.